All right. Uh, so we're continuing in our series called Disciplines, How to Train Ourselves Up in Godliness. So for those who haven't been here the past few weeks or missed out, we've been just studying several different spiritual disciplines that helps us grow in our walk with Christ. So just like, you know, if let's say we wanted to become better at running a particular sport, a particular craft, that we do different things or implement different things to help us get better at that, whether it's just different training methods, whatever the case is. And so we've been looking at several of these to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so tonight, the discipline we're going to be studying is fasting, is fasting, which I think one that's very much lost on a lot of people. I think a lot of people are like, what, what even is that? So I just want to open up by asking y'all personally, like, what do y'all think of when you think of fasting? What are words that come to mind, images? What would be your definition of fasting? I think it's like, um, like, I don't know, not eating and okay. to think about something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To think about, like, more like God. Great start. I'm hold on to that, Eli. Right, so I think of fasting like going like in a quiet room or something, and just mm-hmm. spending time like thinking or reading the Bible. Okay. Yeah. Great ones, Abby and then Gracie. Um, fasting is always have to be about food and not eating, but it's always giving giving something up that uh, your body desires or like your heart desires. Mm-hmm. And then every time you want to go back to that, so like you could use social media, for instance, mm-hmm. and every time you want to check your Snapchat or mm-hmm. Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you pray to God and it kind of draws you more cl- closer to Him than for whatever. Okay. Gracie. Add on to Abby, it's like, it's taking away something out of your daily life to make room for God. Okay, yeah. Great definitions, great Great thoughts. All are going to feed into exactly what we're going to be studying. If I had to boil it down to just a a more simplistic definition for us to understand, I think a lot of you hit right on it, which is this. Christian fasting, it's a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It's very simplistic help us. Voluntary meaning that it's not forced upon us. We're not forced to have to do this. We, We freely choose to do this. We freely choose to, the second word, abstain abstinence abstain from food so withholding eating food for some sort of spiritual purpose what are those spiritual purposes we're going to look at several of those in this uh, message and so strictly speaking abstinence would be or fasting would be abstinence from food it would be abstaining from food not eating food so a lot of times you might hear people say they have a social media fast so maybe they withhold from either going on social media for like a short period of time or a long period of time, or maybe they just permanently delete all the apps, whatever the case is. That, that's absolutely helpful. But in this case for tonight, we want to look at a normal fast is normally just we're not eating food, but we can at least drink water. And one of the things we look at is in Matthew 4, um, as Preston talked about when Jesus fasted, in Matthew 4, verse 2, it talks about how after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting that Jesus was hungry, naturally, because he didn't have food for 40 days. But it doesn't say anything about he was thirsty. And so he was hungry. And so we're going to look more about that tonight. So what I'm going to do is let's pray. And then we're just going to jump into what, like study even more. What does it mean to fast? What are the purposes of fasting? And then practically, how can we apply that? So let's pray and we'll jump in. So, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, We just pray as we study about this, about fasting, would you help us understand more of what it is? Uh, Would you convict us in ways where we have not lived this out? But would you help encourage us how we can even start tonight? Would you help open up our eyes to different ways to understand of why we fast and why we do it and the importance of it? 
Would you help us as we study through this and work through this? Would you help us abstain from things of the world in order to cling more things that, of Christ and your desires and help us just rely even more on you, Lord? So would you help us in that and implement this even tonight to help us grow in our relationship with you, to help us become more the followers of Christ you've called us to be, to help us become the family of God you've called us to be here at LSM. And ultimately, which is our goal at LSM, help us to make Christ's name known. So Holy Spirit, work in and through each of us. Help me communicate this, these truths well. Help each of us in this room open up our minds to understand this and our hearts to receive these and be able to live this out even tonight. So pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the first truth we want to get out of it is this, is that fasting is expected. So fasting is expected. So the verse that we're going to look at in, when it regards to this is Matthew 6, verses 16 through 17 where this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is going through just different aspects of this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And then so he gives us this criteria about fasting in Matthew chapter 6. So this is what it says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Then in verse 17, but when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So right off the bat, Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you fast or if you think it's a cool idea when you decide to, he says, no, 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 when you fast. So Jesus is saying there is an expectation for us as his followers that we are going to fast, that we're going to do this. That's why it gives us guidelines, not specifically of how long we do this or what specifically we do, but just Look, you when you fast, don't look miserable, don't, don't, don't look all awful, don't be like, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, I didn't have a Pop-Tart this morning. He said, don't worry about that, just focus on what you're doing, that only the Lord sees it, not you. So Jesus expects us to fast, but people even in the book of Acts fasted too. So we see now that this is the first century church, so Jesus has now ascended, and so now the Holy Spirit's come down, and now we see the church fasting. So in Acts 9.9, this is when Saul is on the road to Damascus, and he becomes Paul, and he encounters Jesus, and he blinds him, and it says, for three days he neither ate nor drank. So for three days he fasted. And then in Acts 13, verse 2, it talks about how uh, the church in Antioch is about to send out Paul and Barnabas. But before they do, it says they prayed and fasted before they sent Paul and Barnabas out. Or in Acts 14, 21 through 23, we're going to come back to this one later on. But Paul and Barnabas are going all throughout Antioch and Iconium and Derbe. And so they're making disciples all through this area. And as they're making disciples in these areas, they're appointing elders. But they're like, who are we going to appoint as elders? Hey, let's pray and let's fast to see who the Lord has to appoint and to appoint them. So they're praying and fasting for this. But then I think we see the biggest reason and most important reason of why we fast in Matthew 9, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. So Jesus explaining why his disciples weren't fasting while let's say the disciples of John the Baptist or the Pharisees were. So look what it says. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So he's saying, right now, as long as the bridegroom's present, the guests aren't going to mourn. So to help us paint this, Jesus is the bridegroom in these verses. So of course, at this time, Jesus is physically on earth. 
and the disciples are physically with him, physically in his presence. And so they're not going to fast yet because they're in his presence. But now that Jesus has resurrected and ascended and is back up in heaven right now, Jesus is no longer physically present with us. And so he said, then, since the bridegroom is gone, now the disciples, which means us today as followers of him, are going to fast. And so we see this in your notes, this next truth. We fast because we long for and anticipate the return of Jesus. We fast because we long for and anticipate the return of Jesus. Because Jesus is no longer with us, and so we long for him to return. We long for him to come back. We see all of the, just what's wrong in the world and what's going on in the world, and we long for him to come back and just right every wrong, to, to take care of sin finally. But we also anticipate, that we, that we excitedly anticipate his return back. So we fast because we long for and anticipate Jesus to come back, the bridegroom to come back and be amongst us, that we want to be able to spend eternity with him, that we want to be in his presence. So we fast because we long for and anticipate the return of Jesus. So that's part of it. But another aspect of it is this, is that fasting works to help us rely more on God than the world. So fasting works to help us rely more on God than the world. So what fasting is doing, it's saying that we're not going to let say, the desires of the world control us or dictate how we live. That we want the desires of Christ to dictate how we live. That instead of being, let's say, instead of holding on to food, we say, no, no, we're going to get ultimate, our nourishment from God itself. That's why when Jesus was tempted, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And so we want to rely more on it. So as we fast, it helps us abstain from food, abstain from, let's say, the desire of our stomach and to cling more to Jesus in that moment. We're saying that we look to him more than we look to, let's say, food to satisfy us. So here's the next truth we're going to look at is this is that fasting is to be done with a purpose. Fasting is to be done with a purpose. Because like I said, we, we, it's expected of us, and we want to have a purpose for this. We've already seen some of the guidelines that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6, where he said, hey, just, just don't look miserable. Like, don't let people know you're fasting by the way you look or talk or act. So don't look miserable. Don't act like you're dying just because you skipped breakfast. Don't go around saying, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, things of that nature. Because it's not a performance, let's say, to let people know like, what we're doing. It's not a performance to let them know. And it's not, a matter, it's not a matter of if we care about whether people know that we're doing it. But it's, if we're going around saying, like, man, I'm fasting because it's this. That's not what Jesus has intended for us. So again, strictly speaking, if we fast from one meal, that counts as a fast. Now, what, as we see here, there has to be a purpose. So it can't be like, I'm assuming many of y'all like me when I was in high school, is that you would just forget to eat breakfast and then you would just go to school. And so you're just like, well, I guess I fasted because I didn't have breakfast this morning. I don't know if that's y'all. That was at least me. I, never, I really didn't eat breakfast when I was in high school. And so there has to be a purpose. It can't just be like, well, I skipped a meal, so that's going to count. And so we want to look at some of that. And so, because here's the first point. Without a spiritual purpose, fasting is just a weight loss fast. Without a spiritual purpose, fasting is just a weight loss fast. If we don't have a spiritual purpose of why we're doing this, then it's just, well, I'm, just, I'm not having a meal, so I guess I'm, I'm helping lose weight in the process. No, there has to be a spiritual purpose behind it. It has to be that we're abstaining from something of the world in order to gain more of Christ in that. And so, without a clear biblical purpose, fasting just becomes an end in and of itself. So without a spiritual purpose, fasting is just a weight loss fast. But then the next truth, here's the thing, 
is when we have a fast, and let's say we start feeling hungry and our stomachs start to growl or feel that, let's say, that pang of, of hunger that goes through us. We're like, man, I'm, I'm really hungry. Your hunger helps you. Your hunger helps you by serving as a continual reminder of your spiritual purpose. So like I said, when you're fasting, when, whether it's a meal or whether it's for a day or whether it's for a week or however long you do it, is that every time, let's say, your stomach growls or you feel that, that hunger within you, you use that as a reminder of, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing this. Or maybe you take that moment of, oh, my stomach's really growling. Let me take this moment to pray about whatever I'm fasting for. So your hunger can serve as a reminder to help you with this. All right, so what are some biblical purposes for fasting? So if we need to fast and it's expected that we fast, and it's expected that we fast with a purpose, then what are some of the purposes for why we fast? So we're going to look at seven biblical purposes for why we fast. And the first one is this. It's to strengthen prayer. It's to strengthen prayer. So the first one we're going to look at, it's in Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. And so Ezra is desiring safe passage for the exiles to go back to Jerusalem. And so what we're going to see is he's going to call for a fast that we pray to the Lord to help us with this. This is what it says in Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for, is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Then in verse 23, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. So Ezra's saying, okay, let us strengthen our prayer. So let's fast, let's abstain from this, and let's call out to God, implore him, beg him. Would you give us safe passage to here? And the Lord heard their prayers. It said they fasted and prayed and said the Lord listened to their prayer. Now, what I want us to understand is this, is fasting doesn't mean we're just going to change God's hearing or change God's hearts, if you will, so much that, and so much that it changes our prayer instead. So we don't want to fast about, we're going to change God's mind or we're going to do this or bend him to do our will. But instead, when we fast and pray, it changes the way we pray. So we sense the need to strengthen our prayers. A lot of time God says in scripture to fast to strengthen our prayers. Why? Because we're abstaining from whatever to call upon the Lord even more, to focus even more on him for this. Because here's the thing, God already loves to hear the prayers of his people. That we've seen that when we talked about the spiritual discipline of prayer, that whenever we pray, we have the creator of the universe's undivided attention. But he loves it even more when we use things that he's ordained for prayer. We take what he's prescribed in scripture and use that to pray. He loves that even more. So when we fast and pray to him, he loves that. Or we take scripture and we use that as, let's say, our guide to pray back to him. And we're praying just his inspired words back to him. God loves that. So one way, one of the biblical purposes is to strengthen prayer. Second one is it's to seek God's guidance. To seek God's guidance. So this is the one that we, we talked about a little earlier that we would come back to in Acts 14. This is where, again, Paul and Barnabas are traveling through and they're making disciples and they're appointing elders. And so they want to know, who do we need to appoint? And so they wanted to more clearly discern or understand the will of God and seek that out. So what they did is we see this in, um, in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23, where it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra 
to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they wanted to seek God's will. They were like, okay, who do you want us to appoint to these churches? Who do you want us to, to put in charge of these churches? So let's fast and let's pray to seek God's will to help us understand who does he want us to do. So that's what they did. Now again, fasting might not always ensure the certainty of receiving like this clear-cut voice from heaven, this is what I want you to do. We might not necessarily receive that, but it could be helpful for some of us. It could be helpful because instead, rightly practiced, it does make us more receptive to the one who loves us, to the one who guides us. It makes us more receptive to what God has to tell us in that moment. In fact, as crazy as it might sound, to seek God's guidance, this might help some of you. Maybe you're trying to consider, what am I going to do after high school? Am I going to go into college? Am I going to go into the workforce? Am I going to go into the military? And it might just help. You know what? Let me fast and pray about it and just see, God, what do you want me to do in life? That that might be something that just helps you in that process. Something very practical in that. And so we want to seek God's guidance because we ultimately, we want to please God and live for Him. Another biblical purpose of fasting is to express repentance and the return to God. So it's to express repentance and the return to God. So what repentance is, it's a change of thinking that leads into a change in action. And so fasting can signal not only just a grief over our sin, knowing like we have sinned against a holy and perfect God, but it also shows, it also signals a commitment to obedience and a new direction under God. So when we fast, it could show, okay, God, I have sinned against you and I want to just, I want to recommit and return back to you in this moment. So a few, uh, so a few of these that we're going to look at in the Old Testament, the first one is in 1 Samuel 7, verse 6. And this is where the people of Israel, where it shows how they fasted and how they repented and turned back to God. So in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, we see this. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So we see the people of Israel, they're, they're drawing up water and they're pouring it out. And it said they fasted and they said, we have sinned against God. That it's showing them that they're trying to commit themselves back to God, that they've sinned against him. So they want to show that not only they grieve over their sin, not only are they, they're, they just so distraught over their sin, but they want to say, we're returning back to you, Lord. The next one is in Joel chapter two, in one of the minor prophets where the Lord calls his people to return back to him. And then we see how he calls them to return back to him. So in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, we see this truth. Where it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And so he wants us to return back to him. So he said, return back to me. And one of the ways we return back to him is through fasting, through weeping, weeping because we're grieving over our sins. Through fasting, showing that we're going to commit back to him, that we want to grieve over what we were committed to. We want to say we're returning back to you and committing to you, Lord. And then another amazing one is in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. 
So remember, Nineveh was a very wicked place. Jonah did not want to go there whatsoever. That's what we're talking about. Jonah and the whale or Jonah the big fish because he's running in the opposite direction. He's like, that's a wicked place. I don't, want, I don't want to go anywhere near there or step near there. And so God still sends them. Jonah preaches to them, proclaims them, and says, you need to repent and turn back to the Lord. And then we see this in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So they, they do the whole city. They declared across the whole city and said, we need to return back to God. They grieved over their sin. And so we're going to put on sackcloth and ashes and not eat anything that we want to show that we, we are grieving over what we have done, egregiously done against God and return back to him. But here's the thing. I don't want us to treat this as like, punishment for ourselves. When we try to treat fasting as like, let's say, a punishment, like, oh, woe is me, I've sinned, so I'm, sh- I'm not going to eat to do that. That's when we distort what fasting truly is. That's when we treat it as a counterweight for, let's say, self-punishment against the sinful part of our life, maybe, that we don't, that we want to keep feeding. We just treat it as like, oh, well, I'll just beat myself up and not have a meal, but then go back to what I want. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is saying, no, 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 I'm grieved over committing this sin of whatever it is lust or pride or comparison or anything else and saying i want to i want to abstain from that i want to return back to you saying i want to cling to you more than that so uh so fasting is to express repentance and the return to god that that's another biblical purpose the fourth one it's to humble oneself before god to humble oneself before god so two that we want to look at is is the first one is in first kings is the first Kings 21. And uh, for those that have been here with us on Sunday morning, we've been going through first Kings. We've been talking about the life of Elijah. And so we've talked about how Elijah stood up to who was King Ahab. And King Ahab was considered just the vilest and evilest king just in all of Israel's history. That was worse than all the kings before him. That he is the one that instituted uh, Baal worship as just the government issued religion of the entire land when Elijah stepped up to him, that they did so much evil in the sight of the Lord. But then we see how King Ahab humbled himself before God. So in 1 Kings 21, 27 through 29, we read this. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. So because King Ahab humbled himself before God, the disaster was held off because he humbled himself before the Lord. So this is King Ahab, the, just the evilest, the most vile that they considered in all of their history. But another one we want to look at is King David in Psalm 35, verse 13, where King David is considered, honestly, the godliest king in Israel's history, or one of. And so in Psalm 35, verse 13, it says, uh, 
It says this. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. And I prayed with head bowed on my chest. So King David wouldn't even look up. That he was just, he was humbling himself before God. I'm going to pray with my head in my chest. And I'm just going to, I'm going to put sackcloth on. I'm going to fast. He's humbling himself before God. Now remember that fasting is not in and of itself humility before God, but it's an act of expression of humility before God. Because a lot of times we can say we're fasting, we're trying to be humble, and we can really contort it, or we can really use it for our own advantage, or we even try to boast about it. An example of this we see is in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 10 through 12, where it's the parable of this Pharisee and this tax collector, and they're coming into the temple, and they're praying before God. And the Pharisee, in fact, uses fasting as a way to brag. So look at what it says in Luke 18, verses 10 through 12. The two men, meaning the Pharisee and the tax collector, went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see two totally different things. The Pharisees even saying, well, I fasted twice a week. I'm doing all this. While the tax collector doesn't even lift up his head, he's saying, I can't even look upward because I'm so sinful. He's humbling himself before the Lord and saying the tax collector was a lot more humble than the Pharisee was. So we see that fasting can help us humble ourselves before God. The next one, to minister to the needs of others. To minister to the needs of others. This is one way where we fast and we might just say we just see so much going on in the world. It could be maybe we see like what's going on in Waverly with all the flooding there. It could be we just see what's going on, let's say, with COVID and how it's affecting different family members or loved ones that we see around us. We just think, I don't know what else to do. Then maybe we just fast and abstain and take that time to pray for those people that are being affected by all of this. Just as a way for us to minister to their needs that we just bring it all up before God. And in Isaiah 58... Uh, verse 3 through 12 is that uh, the Lord gives us just ways that he would want us to fast and ways that he would not want us to fast. And so I'm going to read it in its entirety. So Isaiah 58, uh, verses, verses 3 through 12, where it says this, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to fight with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is it not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of the wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? And to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up readily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. 
Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your former from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Wow. That, that by fasting, it can help us minister to other people. Just by, let's say, holding off from one meal and using that to, let's say, feed someone else who doesn't have a meal. Then we can abstain to either pray or help serve other people. And that can help minister to so many other people. In fact, um, this, is, this is one that... Uh, that I did when I was at Liberty, where uh, the shepherd we were under, I was on spiritual leadership, kind of like a hall pastor, if you will, um, is what I was. And so there was someone that was over us that cared for all of us. And he called us one day. He's like, I want all of you to fast for one day. That we'll meet back up later that night. You can have supper together if you want, but through the whole day, I want you to fast and I want you to pray for the campus. I want you to pray for people's salvation. I want you to pray for just the needs on your hall. I want you to pray for the hurts and pains or anything that might be going on on the campus. And that was very interesting throughout the day where you go about and you would just remind yourself, like, when you thought more about your hunger, like, man, I'm just, I am starving. I really want food. But it was so much different when you would switch your mindset of, like, anytime, like, I felt hungry or my stomach growled to pray for those people. It really slowly shifted your mindset of, like, wait, no, now I'm reminding myself, why am I doing this? It's because I want to pray for people's salvation. I want to pray for people that might be on my own hall and are hurting and wrestling with things. That I took time to do that. And that was really eye-opening. Because one, it showed me how much like I would try to cling to be like, man, I'm just really hungry. I want to just grab something. But also helped me to shift my mindset. No, I, I got to remind myself why I'm doing this. Because this kind of fasting pleases God because it results in the concern for others and not just ourselves. It's us looking out around us and caring for those around us. Maybe a way to minister for the needs of others Maybe a way is you just take, let's say, a meal, and during that time, you just pray for the salvation of people at your school. Maybe you just take that time to pray maybe for a family member or a loved one you know that's hurting or wrestling with fears or doubts or anxiety or anything else. Maybe you know people that are suffering right now, like I said, people in Waverly or people that are wrestling with COVID or all these uncertainties. You just take time and you just, I'm going to abstain from like, let's say, lunch or supper, and I want to take that time to pray for those people. Or take that hour instead of, let's say, the time I would maybe have supper and I want to go out into the community and serve those people. So that's one way. It's to minister to the needs of others. Next one is to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. To overcome temptation and to dedicate yourself to God. So in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, that's a passage where Jesus, right as he's about to start his ministry... So he just got baptized, he's about to start his ministry, and then he goes immediately into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. And it said, naturally, after those 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. But then it's right after that, that that is when Satan comes and tries to tempt him, and tempts him three times. So he tried to get him when he thought Jesus was at his lowest, when he was hungry. Because a lot of times when we're physically suffering, it's easy. That's when Satan really likes to come and try to tempt us. But when Jesus was fasting, not only just to hold off from food, but for a spiritual purpose, and before he started his ministry, is that he was able to have the spiritual strength to withhold just that onslaught of temptation 
that Satan was throwing at him. And so sometimes that we require a lot of just, we need a lot of help when it comes to overcoming temptation. That maybe we're wrestling with just a lot of different temptation. Like I said, maybe it's a temptation of lust. Maybe it's a temptation of pride. Maybe it's the temptation of comparison. Maybe it's the temptation of whatever you name it. And it's just so strong, you don't know what else to do. Well, sometimes exceptionable temptations require exceptionable measures. That if it's a great temptation, it might take great measures. And fasting can help us with that. Just take time to fast and pray, God, would you help me with this? Would you help me abstain from these things and these desires in order to cling to you and your desires become the desires of my heart? And then the last one, to express love and worship to God. To express love and worship to God. So besides, besides just, let's say, trying to strengthen our prayer, besides maybe ministering to others, sometimes we can just do fasting just to be able to worship God. That we just take that time, we just worship Him and praise Him for all that He is. So one, one way we see this is in Luke 2, uh, 36 to 38. And this is about, uh, this is right around the time we might, you might read this story where Jesus is about to be presented in front of the temple and um, that Jesus is born, so they want to celebrate it. But then there's this little interesting fact about this, uh, this widow that's in the temple and what she does to worship God. So uh, in Luke chapter 2, 36 38, I'll flip there real quick. We see uh, this truth. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So this 84-year-old woman, one of the ways that she worshiped God and just celebrated God is that she went to the temple night and day and she would fast and pray. So it might not just be just to pray, let's say, for the redemption of Jerusalem or Israel or anything else. It might just be, I want to worship God for who he is. And so I'm just going to hold off on a meal because I don't need that meal in order to worship God. That we don't need the God of our stomach to control us. Instead, we say God is the God of all of our desires, not our stomach. That our stomach is a servant of God, not our own God. That's what we see in John 6, verse 51, where Jesus says, I am the living bread. I'm the bread of just life. And so it's saying we, do, we love the bread of life more than just earthly bread. That we love Jesus more than anything. that, And we just want to worship and celebrate him. Or in Philippians 3, 17 through 20, it talks about how the end of them is their destruction, that their belly is their God. And so we're saying, no, our belly is not our God. These desires are not our God. God is our God. And we just want to worship and celebrate Him for all the things that He does. Again, fasting must always have a spiritual purpose, a God-centered purpose, not a self-centered purpose for people like, look at us, look at what I'm doing, look at how miserable I am, look at how godly I am. No, it has to have a God-centered purpose. But also, I want us to be very careful to not develop like a mechanical view of fasting. I also want us to view fasting as, fasting as, well, if I withhold from a meal and I start praying to God, then because I'm fasting, God owes me one. I also don't want us to think about that either. Again, it's to help us rely more on God and trust in Him. When we pray to God, our will starts becoming more aligned with His will. But also, there's this truth. In fasting, seeking God should be more important than what we seek from God. 
So in fasting, seeking God should be more important than what we seek from God. So when it comes to fasting, it should just be that we're spending time with God, that we're able to understand more about Him, to grow in our relationship more with Him, that that should be more important than just what can we get out of this from God. That it's more about getting to know God more than just, let's say, the benefits of that. That should be what's most important when it comes to fasting and us seeking that. And so to kind of give another definition you see in your notes, to expand it even more, look at this. Fasting is when we hunger for God. So fasting is when we hunger for God more than we hunger for the things of this world. And then look at what some of these things say. For a fresh encounter with God. We want to have a fresh encounter with God. So we're going to fast and pray to Him. For God to answer a prayer. Then maybe we just have something that's weighing heavy on our hearts and we want to pray to God for it. So we're going to fast and see if He'll answer a prayer. For God to save someone. Maybe you have a family member, a friend, a classmate, a teammate that you just care about, that you know is lost and needs Jesus. And maybe you want to strengthen your prayer saying, I'm going to fast and take that time to pray for their salvation, for pray to me to have opportunities for that. Another one, for God to work powerfully in our church. Maybe you say, I want to take, I want to take time and I just want to pray for our church here at Last Cassis Baptist Church, that God would continue to use us powerfully in our community, to go out and make Christ's name known in our community. For God to guide us or protect us. That maybe there's some people, they are worried, let's say, about COVID that's going around or the Delta variant or anything else. We say, I just want to pray for people's protection. Maybe it's not mine. Maybe it's some of that a loved one that we have that's like immunocompromised or could be at risk. So we want to pray for them and protect them. Or that we want to pray for guidance. How do I go through this season of life right now? How do I go through this school year right now? How do I navigate this season? I want to pray for that. That fasting is when we hunger for God and down at the bottom more than we hunger for the food God made us to live on. Do you hunger for God more than you hunger for your next meal? Do you hunger for God more than, let's say, you hunger for Chick-fil-A? Good question. It's a serious question. Like, would you, if I asked you to give up one meal for one day, one time this week, would you be able to do that? And take that time, take that hour to focus on God. Not just to go about, but just to focus on God in that hour, not eat. That we want to, do we hunger for God more than we hunger for the things of this world? Do we hunger for God more than we hunger getting on our phones and spending time on social media? Do we hunger for God more than we hunger for, let's say, a relationship with someone? Do we hunger for God more than we hunger for popularity? Do we hunger for God more than, let's say, we hunger for whatever the latest fad is or getting a bunch of likes and comments and retweets and friends? Do we hunger for God more than that? Do we hunger for God more than championships? Do we hunger for God? Fasting helps us abstain from these things, saying, I don't need these things. I want God more than anything else. That I hunger for Him, that He is the God of everything in my life. Okay, so practical ways. How can we practically live out our faith? How can we practically start applying this? And so I just want to let us look at four different ways that we can just practically start doing that starting tonight. First one is pick one meal on one day. That might sound like a duh statement, but just we have to start somewhere. And so what I'd recommend is just like, let's say you wouldn't get off your couch and go run a decathlon. I wouldn't recommend, well, I'm going to get up off my couch and starting tomorrow, I'm going to go 40 days without eating any food and just drinking water. I would not recommend that. Just start with one meal on one day. 
I would even go a step further. Start with either a lunch or a dinner time within the next week. You're saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat during that time. And then do the second one. Pick a biblical purpose. So one of those seven that we pointed out, you're just going to pick one of those and say, okay, next, next Wednesday, instead of having the Wednesday night meal for supper, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to use it in prayer for whatever whether it's to repent of a sin, whether it's to pray for people at our church, whether it's to whatever the case is, that you pick a biblical purpose. Third one, spend that time worshiping God. So don't just spend idly by. Again, it's to help us focus on God. So take that time to focus on God. So it could be you're just listening to worship music and just thinking through those lyrics and listening to that. It could be that you're praying to God through that time. It could be that you're reading your Bible through that time. But spend that time worshiping God because that is the point of it. And then lastly, use your hunger as a reminder to pray. So use your hunger as a reminder to pray. So again, that, that let's say when your stomach growls or you just feel, let's say, that pang of hunger that hits and you're like, oh, I'm really hungry. Instead of being like, man, I'm so hungry, let that be a reminder. Oh, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. Let me take this moment now that as my stomach's growling, I'm going to instead pray to God and point my focus back onto him and praying for whatever I'm doing. That this is what we are to do. We are to fast. We are to hunger after God. So let's start even tonight of how we're going to take time to focus on God, to focus on Him, and to grow in our relationship with Him, to abstain from food in order to focus more on Christ, to obtain more of Christ, to grow in our relationship with Christ. And as we do that, we're ultimately able to make Christ's name known. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you just for all these biblical truths. We pray that would you help us live these out? Would you help us take the moment to to abstain from just the things of this world, especially even food, and say that we hunger and thirst for righteousness more than we hunger for our next meal? Would you help us even tonight to do that? Help us grow in our relationship with you. It is only by your grace we can do any of this. So would you help us start even tonight? Would you forgive us for the times that we have fallen short in this category? But, but we're so thankful that because of Christ, you can redeem any of this. So would you help us, again, cling more to Christ, trust Him more, focus on Him more. Help us do that, to grow in our relationship with Him. So that way we can make Christ's name known, as you've called each and every one of us to. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.